I'm so excited to have you at church on this Memorial Day weekend here in Mesa and at Ahwatukee. Come on, make some noise for Ahwatukee right now. Our Ahwatukee family is amazing, and so I miss, I miss you. I love you. Uh, I'm so excited about what God is going to do in your life today. I believe he has a, a word for you. And I also want to let you know that I am really excited about this series of teaching that is going to begin next Sunday. It's a series I've been looking forward to and praying about for a very long time. We're going to be teaching for uh, quite a while through the life of David, his ascent from a shepherd boy to the palace, and you're going to learn a lot. You're going to be encouraged, and I believe God's going to speak to you through that series. So be here for it. Uh, You don't want to miss it, if at all possible. It's a great time to just grab some family members and bring them to church. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be exciting. David, his life is one of the most epic and dramatic historical narratives in the entire Bible. So you want to be here for that. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 19. And today I'm going to just bring you this word that I feel like God's put on my heart for you. And we're going to read about a story. In many of your Bibles, there's a topic at the beginning of this passage, and it's titled The Rich Young Ruler. Here's what it says. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. When I read this story, it makes me sad. That sorrow was present in this young man's life, and he was so close to discovering the joy that comes through Jesus. And yet we read in this passage that his stuff was a barrier between him and the greatest treasure that a human being could ever receive, eternal life through salvation, which made possible by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this passage, it really illustrates some amazing truth for us, and today I want to talk to you on the subject of financial joy. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would open it up so that we could understand it, and that your Holy Spirit will help us to receive it and see the truth and apply it to our lives so we can be more like Jesus and glorify your name. Amen. Amen. I remember as a a young guy uh, beginning my career, 12 years old, I wanted to make some money, all right? I was tired of relying on my parents' allowance. So I said, "Uh, mom, I've got a business plan. It involves you allowing me the free and unrestricted use of the family lawnmower. And I can't drive because I'm 12. So I'm going to need you to give me a ride in our family's conversion van. You remember those big vans? Like they look at the A-team van. 
because I'm going to go make some money. So I lived in a little small town in rural Kansas, about six, 7,000 people. And I found uh, the manager of the local grocery store, and I presented my business plan to him. It involved me cutting his grass and him giving me money. And he agreed, as well as the local gas station owner and a few other uh, maybe two trusting people. Okay, And so I, I learned that I could work and get some money. And guess what? I realized at this young, tender age, having money is awesome. It really is. And then my career blossomed from there. And God led me into my next venture, a job at the Sonic Drive-In. And Sonic Drive-In was an amazing, magical place. I, I really thrived there. Not only do they pay you hourly, but unbeknownst to me when I took the job, people tip at Sonic Drive-In. Did you know that? I didn't even know that. People started giving me extra money that they didn't even have to give me. And I wasn't wearing roller skates or a mini skirt, but apparently my hips don't lie because people wanted to give me money. And now as this young 14-year-old who lied on his application and said he was 15, confessions, I was rich. I mean, I really felt like the richest person in the world. It has something to do with the fact that I had no bills and was freeloading off my parents, but I had all this disposable income, and it was amazing. I'm not going to lie to you. I think it was like the best time of my life in some ways. I could do whatever I wanted. If I wanted biscuits and gravy, I could peddle my little self to get some biscuits and gravy. I didn't even need my parents' permission. I just went and got me some ice cream, and my love of shoes was born. It all began one day when I asked my mom, Mom, will you buy me the new Allen Iverson basketball shoes? Some of you remember these shoes. They were called The Question. Well, my mom gave me the answer. It was no. She said, no, those shoes are too expensive. But then it dawned on me, wait a second, I'm rich. And I bought the shoes with my own money. And I realized having money is like the greatest. And so I read this passage in the Bible and I totally relate to this rich young ruler because I was once a young, rich kid. And I, and, and I understand that it would have been a difficult situation for him. And it's a really incredible passage. I don't know if you fully appreciate everything that's going on in it. And that's why I always encourage our church family, hey, read the Bible for yourself. Keep reading it. Just even a little bit per day. Just read it. Because what's so cool is you'll get something out of it, I guarantee, when you read it. But as you read more, you'll understand more, and you'll start to realize and see things that you didn't see the first time. And so one of the cool things is you'll read a passage like this, and you'll realize Jesus is a genius. And you'll also start to realize this as you've read the Bible a little bit. Jesus is hilarious. He really is. He's not telling knock-knock jokes. But if you start to understand him, you'll see he is a funny Dude, it makes sense. He's the son of God. It makes sense that he's hilarious. And so he's having this conversation with this young rich guy. He comes to Jesus and he asks a pretty good question. What must I do to receive the gift of eternal life? And Jesus gives him the answer. Well, keep the commandments. Now, we as Christians know, if you've been a Christian for a while, like, man, you can't do a good deed and get eternal life. It's a gift. We know that. This young guy didn't know that. So Jesus said, keep the commandments. His proper response would have been, I can't. 
What should I do? And that's why, why God gave us the Old Testament and all the commandments of the Old Testament so that at one point we would read them and then realize it's hopeless. I'm not a good person. I can't live up to God's standard of perfection and righteousness. How can I be saved? And then God would step in and be like, here you go. Meet my son, Jesus. I'm going to save you because you can't save yourselves. But this young guy, he's, he's clueless. He's out of touch with reality. He's delusional. He says, in, in answer to Jesus' question, keep the commandments. He goes, which ones? Can you just see Jesus like roll his eyes? This guy, oh God. Oh my me, oh. I just wonder how often he was rolling his eyes at people. He said, all right, well, you know, I'll give you some examples. Like, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, can you imagine this kid? Which ones? Right, like, imagine like a parent, like, you know, dad tells his son, son, you need to obey your father. When? In what circumstances do I need to obey you? She's like, just skip the next convert. Just go right to spanking him at that point, I think. It's like, you, you think you're smart, right? Jesus gives this guy some examples. Obey all the commandments. Don't murder. Don't steal. And here's what the young guy says. I've kept all of those. So he proves he's a big, fat liar. What else must I do? And so Jesus has led this young man on the journey of spiritual self-discovery, and he's taking him to the, the climax moment of the encounter, and he says, okay, let's get to the heart of your problem. Go and sell all your stuff and give the money away, then come follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. The Bible tells us tragically that the young man left full of sorrow because he had a lot of great stuff. How sad is it to think that a guy could be face to face, face with the son of God, the manifest love of the father on earth, come so close to eternal life, but that cool stuff would be the barrier that keeps him from crossing the finish line, right? From receiving the gift of salvation, the sorrow in his heart as he got close to God's love and power, but then he ultimately voluntarily turned around and left because he couldn't part with his awesome wealth and stuff. This is tragic. God does not want finances and stuff to be a source of sorrow in our lives. He wants the blessings that he gives us, he wants your financial picture to be a subject of joy in your conversations that happen in your family. So I wanna to talk to you on the subject of financial joy, the joy that you can have. I don't wanna be like the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus looking for the gift of eternal life, but then turns away because, look, I'm not willing to do what you've asked of me, right? I think about Christians who do sometimes something similar to that where they come to God looking for him to do something for them. They, wanna, they want that gift, but they, they, they don't really want Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like people that they, they go to church, they're looking, they want the good things of God, but they don't want God, right? So I ask the question, are you in it for the gift or the gift giver? Because if you'll pursue the gift giver, you end up receiving more than you'll ever need and beyond your wildest imaginations. 
And so there's joy that's available to us through Jesus, not sorrow. And, and if you don't come to understand this issue uh, and don't understand how to receive financial joy, it's going to lead to ongoing pain and frustration in your life in so many ways. Isn't it crazy how much money and finance just kind of stays at the center of our thoughts and conversations? That's why Jesus talked about it so, so much. He wants us to have financial joy. How do we keep our possessions from possessing us? What's the secret to financial joy? I'm gonna give you three keys to receiving financial joy. In order to have joy in your finances, you gotta put God first. That's the first one, so write that down. Putting God first, one of the keys to financial joy. You cannot be healthy without a healthy foundation, can you? You cannot have a, a solid structure without a good, solid foundation. It's like if you've ever had pain in your feet, it messes up your whole day. Like, roll your ankle. It's just a small part of your body, but it, like, ruins your ability to function. It's your, it's your foundation. Or if you've built a house and you've seen cracks in the foundation, you know that can cause much bigger problems. And it's true, in your life, if you don't establish a solid foundation in your finances, then nothing else will work right. How do I have a solid foundation, pastor? You put God first. You lay the foundation by putting God first, and then God enables you to build your household on that solid foundation, and you will flourish and find financial joy. Anywhere that you wanna have joy in your life, put God first. He can only bless your life when he's first. You wanna have a, a joyful marriage? Have God be first in your marriage. Same is true for your business. Same is true for your family. You wanna have a joyful life as you parent your children? Put God first in all your decision making as you parent your children. It's just a principle that's true for every aspect of our life. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the context is everything you need will be added to you. If you'll make God your first priority, he will bless you. So I wanna encourage you in this, we're heading into summertime. We know it's still pretty nice today, but it's getting hotter. And as it gets hot, it's the time of the year, people go on vacation, they go on trips, and that's great. Enjoy your trips. But you can still prioritize God in your life, even on vacation. You can. You can do something crazy like, like open the Bible with your kids and read it. Or, or like open up your, your church app and watch a sermon from the Sunday that you missed. Don't, don't, don't get disconnected because you're away in distance, right? Right, like stay connected. And, and like, here's another thing. God has to be first in your finances. So one of the reasons that I love our opportunity today with digital and technology is, is it allows us to keep God first in every situation. So I love to automate my giving to God. And if you've been in this church uh, for a while, you've heard me talk about tithing and giving, and this isn't a sermon about tithing today, but let me just touch on this for a minute. I like to automate my giving digitally. I make it automatic. It happens right after I get paid. The tithe comes out of my check, and it goes to God. That's tithe. It's 10%. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, I mean, I'm just going to encourage you in this for a second, just to remind you what you already know. If you're new to being a Christian, right, I'm going to give you a secret right now that is gonna change your whole entire life. God wants the first portion and he wants the best portion. He says it again and again in his word. He says in Proverbs three, bring me the first fruits of all your produce 
and then your vats and your barns will overflow with blessing. He says in Malachi 3, bring me the whole tithe and I'll bless you beyond what you can contain. How many of you know that he's, he's telling the truth, right, when he says that, right? So, so what that looks like is when you get paid or when you, you increase, sometimes it's through like an inheritance or, or something like that, God says, I want the first 10%. If I got paid $10,000, he just wants $1,000. And he says, I'm gonna bless the 90% that you keep further than the 100% would have gone on your own. And you know it's true, he does this. And here's the thing, when you get this right, it brings so much joy into your life. I know what it's like to do it backwards, because I've been a young Christian guy who heard about tithing, and I, and I was like, I don't really need to do that. I don't really wanna do that. It just sounded terrible, right? Like, I'm thinking, if I give God the first 10%, I'll have less. That's just like common sense, right? Like it seems like common sense. And yet what I realized was, was it, it, it doesn't feel right. It, nothing quite works right. It's always a little off until you get this in the right order. Because like what I believe is that if you've truly given your life to Jesus, in your soul, you want to do this. You see what the word of God says, and, and there's a part of your heart that's like, man, I long for that. I, I'm drawn to that. I wanna be obedient in this issue and honor God with this, but then maybe something is stopping you, like fear, or, or you're worried, or, or maybe you just think, oh, I can't do it, right? But here's the thing. When you take that step of faith and trust God in this area and you put him first, you'll come to discover not only that he blesses you, but watch, it feels so good. It really does. It just feels so good in your heart. It's like fixing a problem that has been left unfixed for a long time. And when you finally get it taken care of, you're like, oh, why did I wait so long to get a hold of that issue in my life? It's going to be so powerful in your life. When you put God first, you're going to discover joy. You don't want to be like this rich young ruler who he wanted eternal life, but he didn't want to give up what he thought was the good life. He missed out on God's eternal life and God's best because he thought that what he had was, was too good. It was too important to let go of, and he left in sorrow. God wants you to experience joy, and this is such a critical step. Put him first. If God hasn't got a hold of your checkbook, I'll just tell you, diagnosis, he hasn't gotten a hold of your heart. Because the Bible clearly says where your treasure is, your heart is also. So, so if your heart and your checkbook are disconnected, there is a disconnect in your spirit. If you say, I'm gonna surrender my life to God, that does not leave anything out, right? It says, I'm surrendering my life to you. And so it's just true. God wants your heart. He wants to be first. I found that some people, they accept Jesus in theory, but they don't allow God to fully transform their heart in practice. So don't, Delay on this issue. Don't hold out. I don't say this to make you feel guilty. There's no guilt uh, here. There's no condemnation for you here. This is to help you to experience God's best in your life, that you would have joy. It feels great. There's a joy that comes from knowing you're obeying God. There's a joy that comes on another level when you grow into generosity and being generous even when you don't have to. So it's an important subject. You need to know God will bless you. He will provide for you. You cannot outgive God. You'll learn how joyful it is when you take that step. Some of you already know, but it's an important first step. Here's the next step. Here's the next key. Having a unified household will bring financial joy. 
A house divided cannot stand, and it's also true that a house divided financially will not stand. One of the top reasons for divorce really is money problems. Why is it that we live in the richest country in the history of the world, but one of the main reasons people get divorced is because they can't handle their money together? That just tells you how much of a problem we have if we try to take care of this on our own. It just tells you how hopeless it is to solve this problem apart from God. So you need a unified household, which requires a unified vision for your finances. Here's not, not a trick question. Which part of your body provides vision? Your eyes. Okay, in Spanish, ojos. This is a diverse church. <laughs> but then like more generally speaking, okay, like the body talks about the head. The eyes are part of the head. So I'm gonna say this. In the Bible, you'll see again that the leader, the head, provides the vision. Jesus is the head of his church. He provided the vision for the church. In the family unit, the husband is the head of his family. It says this in Ephesians 5.23. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. So this means that in a married family unit, it is the husband's responsibility to set the financial vision for the family. That means the husband, who is the spiritual leader of the family, needs to lead the way in saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're gonna do. It is the husband's duty as the spiritual head of his household to provide for his family. And God gives a grace to men to carry that spiritual burden in their marriage relationship. Specifically, the same way that God allows Jesus as the head of the church to carry the burden for building his church, God says, men, you're responsible to provide for your family. It's up to you. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to make the most money in your family. It doesn't mean that you have to manage the checkbook. It doesn't mean you have to be the one that decides the investments. Uh, your wife might make more money than you. She might have administrative gifts that you don't have. Some of you are like, if I paid the bills, we would get kicked out of our house. It would, it would all collapse. My wife has to be the one. Like, she's so good at it. I'm not. That's totally okay. That's great. You can delegate tasks, but a husband cannot delegate responsibility. Right, that means that if it comes down to it, at the end of the day, and unless you're physically unable, the husband is ultimately responsible to put food on the table for his wife and children, okay? So a quick question, maybe a single mom is wondering, what about me? Okay, if you're a single mom, you need to understand that this is part of the role that the church plays in your life. The church comes along beside you and helps to provide that stability in your life. This is why it's important for churches to help single moms and orphans because we are gonna help to provide that security that they really need and that God wants them to have, okay? So we're here for you as a single mom in a, a married family unit as a husband. It's your responsibility. You are the leader of your family, husbands. Where are my men at, right? You're the leader of your family. You can be a good leader or you can be a bad leader but either way, you're the leader. If you're a single woman and you're looking for a husband, here's a little tip. You're looking for the future leader of your family. Think about that when you choose, okay? You might think right now, like, I didn't choose this guy to be the leader of my family. He is now. You better pray for him. You might wanna bring him to church. 
So you need to be unified as a household. And, and let me touch on this. You need to be unified on the subject of tithing and generosity. Okay, so as a husband, as the leader, you need to say, this is our first priority. We're going to tithe. Okay, now maybe your wife doesn't want to. This happens sometimes. A husband will say, I want to tithe. My wife does not want to. Maybe she's worried that we won't have enough, okay? So here's what you need to do. Husbands, you need to sit down with your wife in a loving way, show her what the word of God says, uh, tell her the plan, and then lead her in courage, in faith, to following the Lord in obedience. Allow your faith to strengthen her faith, okay? That's what a husband, that's what a leader does, okay? And if your wife is really, really worried about this issue, it's probably not because she doesn't trust God to provide. It's probably because she's worried that you're crazy, that you don't know what you're doing. So let me help you out. How about you write out a budget, okay? Put God at the top uh, and then list out your expenses and your income and show her the plan. And look, you can show her, like, this is the plan, babe. Even if it doesn't all line up, we're gonna trust God to come through for us, okay? On the other side, sometimes a wife wants to tithe and give to God generously, but her husband doesn't want to. This is a question I get a lot, where maybe a, a, a wife is saved, but her husband isn't. Or maybe she wants to obey this issue. So she'll come to me, I'll hear this question, a lot of times it's with tears in the eyes, I wanna tithe, I know what the Bible says, I wanna be obedient, but my husband does not wanna do that. What should I do? Okay, this is a great question, and I'm gonna give you a Bible verse to help answer it. It says this, in Ephesians 5, 24, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything, okay? So what that means is that if your husband doesn't wanna tithe, here's what you should do. You should pray for him. You can explain to him why. Even if he's not a Christian, you can show him, like, if we do this, God will bless us, whether you're a Christian or not. But if at the end of the day, he's like, I'm not doing it, you should honor him as the leader of your family, and God will honor you for obeying his word. It's one of the only times as a pastor I look at someone and I get to say, God knows your heart, so you're off the hook. This is the, what the Bible says. So we have pretty clear guidance there. So you need to be unified on this issue, and we need to be unified on the issue of saving and spending. This is the next thing I wanna talk on with unified households. How many of you are naturally savers? Show of hands, okay? How many of you are naturally spenders? Here in Albuquerque as well, okay? The spenders are always more fun, I'm just gonna say. It's just true. Both, uh, both services so far today, are, uh, the spenders are like, woo-woo! And the savers are like, oh. Okay. God made you the way you are, and he loves you the way you are. So if you're naturally a saver or you're naturally a spender, guess what, God made you that way, and he loves you. Savers and spenders both enjoy money but for very different reasons, right? The thing that a saver most enjoys about money is having it. <laughs> the thing that a spender most enjoys about money, enjoying it, yeah? Using it for fun. And that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to save. In Proverbs 21:30, it says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Only a fool spends everything he gets. Spenders, man, it's not bad to be a spender. Let's, let's, let's show you a Bible verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. I'm gonna give you a Bible verse that shows you it's okay to be a spender. You're gonna love me. 
Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Next time your saver spouse says to you, we can't afford that, we can't spend that, we gotta save more, you look at him or her and you say, honey, don't put your trust, your trust in riches, but in God, who gives us good things to enjoy. We need to enjoy. God doesn't just give us good things to survive. It's not just about getting by, but he actually gives us good things to enjoy. And listen, it's actually okay to enjoy your stuff. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. If you got like a car you really like, or you just got a new dress that you really love, like, and you love it, like that's okay. That does not dishonor God. God says who watch out for the love of money and that money can come between you and God, but it's not bad to enjoy your stuff. In fact, watch this, another verse for my spenders, Ecclesiastes 5, 19, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. Right, so, so again, spenders, you can just bust the Bible out and remind your spouse, right? Like, this is a good thing that we can spend this money, right? This is a blessing from God. It's okay for us to enjoy our wealth. And one of the things that this means is that Christians need to break free from guilt-tripping one another and themselves over having nice stuff. I, I know maybe this is a little bit more prevalent, I think, in the Bible Belt or more traditionally Christian areas, but I found that Christians are the worst at this. They love to guilt trip each other, and a lot of times they even feel guilty if they spend money or have anything that's nice. So like I'll see, I'll see a Christian, you know, like, oh, I saw you, you and your uh, husband went out to dinner the other night for date night. Was it nice? I saw, you know, it looked like a pretty nice restaurant. Oh yeah, well, the thing is, you know, we got a coupon, so it's practically free, uh, barely cost us anything. Oh, I saw you guys went on, on a great vacation. You know, how was that? Well, the thing is, it was a red-eye flight. It just came up at the last minute. Hotwire.com was like so cheap, practically free. Oh, uh, man. Whew. It's like they feel bad, you know, and you shouldn't feel that way. God gave you wealth and the good health to enjoy it. It's all right. Or like definitely don't be one of those Christians. I know none, none of you are like this at our church who judges other people. Someone drives up in a nice car, and you just look at them. Mm-hmm. I bet you don't give a lot to missions. <laughs> Probably not a kingdom builder if you can afford a, king, a car like that, right? I guess uh, your heart is in the wrong place. And that's not right, stop it, stop it. Don't, don't be guilty, don't judge one another. It's okay to have good things and the blessings of God in your life. If you have wealth in your life, the Bible says that God has provided you with that wealth. It's okay to enjoy it, but you do have a responsibility to use it in the right way, as a good steward. And God says if you have wealth as a Christian, you have a responsibility to use it to bless others and help build the kingdom of God. That you who have been blessed with much should be the most generous. And that people who have very little, they should be generous only in proportion to the little that they have. That's what God says. He's very proportional in that way, but he loves a generous heart. It, it requires unity to have joy. And you need to understand compromise. It's actually okay to have compromise in your relationship between savers and spenders. It's good to compromise, right? Like in my marriage, like I'm naturally the saver. 
And my wife, Amy, is naturally a little bit more of a spender. She doesn't mind saving, but, but she, she's encouraged me to spend more. <laughs> right? And she's taught me about the benefits of having a good time and, and, and showing me that, that it's okay. Like, like, we don't have to just hold on to every little. It's okay to spend a little bit more. And so I've learned how important compromise can be in marriage. It plays itself out in all kinds of ways. You know, one of the ways it plays itself out is my wife loves Disneyland, and I do not. <laughs> in fact, I had never been to Disneyland until we were married. And I've been there now. I went with my wife, and, and you know, I figured the Bible says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. So I figured if Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I could drive to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Did I have fun? Yes. But compromise is good, it's okay. And, and this is what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21, okay? It talks about submitting, but here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So a husband and wife are leading their families together, the husband is the head, but then the Bible says they should submit to one another. What that means is they defer to one another out of love and consideration. It means you're constantly looking, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? And honestly, a husband as the leader is the biggest servant in the equation. He should be the one saying, how can I lay my life down to bless you? How can I put you first? And the wife is there going, how can I lift you up? And how can I serve you and honor you and help you be the best version of yourself? And they're sitting there going, you go first. No, you go first. I just want to bless you, babe. No, no, I'm trying to figure out how to bless you. Stop trying to bless me so I can bless you. That's what it looks like in a healthy marriage. I'm so, so grateful for a marriage like that, and, and I understand that compromise can be a good thing. If you're a saver, if you're a spender, you should appreciate one another, that God brought you together, because if you only spend, you won't have enough money. On the other hand, if, if, if you only save, you won't have enough fun. You need one another, and you have to compromise. You have to understand what's important to one another. If you don't let a spender spend, he or she will feel suffocated and unfulfilled, and you'll, you'll be stealing their fun, which consequently steals their joy. On the other hand, if you don't let a saver save, he'll be worried, she'll be a nervous wreck, and, and she'll say, you're stealing my security, which ultimately steals my joy. And so that's why compromise is important in having joy. And, and listen, if you're both savers in your relationship, that can be a problem. You gotta watch out for that and be warned against becoming miserly little penny pinchers who hoard everything they have. And honestly, I've noticed that when both people in a, a relationship are savers, they can develop a poverty mindset and think, well, that's too good for us. We, we don't deserve that, that's too nice for us. On the other hand, when both people are uh, spenders, obviously that can cause problems as well. If you're both spenders, you know, that can get you into to trouble. The Bible says it's foolish to spend everything you have. You wanna be prepared for difficult days if they were to come because having a little bit of money and savings can bring a lot of joy into your life when things aren't going well, can it? We wanna have financial joy. Here's the third thing, the third key to having financial joy. It's understanding contentment. And we're gonna get kind of to the end of this message here, but contentment is so important to financial joy. Let me ask you, could you be happy with less? 
and ask yourself this, truly, are you grateful for what you already have? We can get so focused on what we don't have that we become ungrateful for what we already do have. And, and it's just the human nature, it's the way we are. And that's why we need to put things in perspective. In Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul writes this, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul, in this moment as he wrote this passage, was sitting in a prison in shackles. He was not living the good life on the lazy boy in front of the fireplace. But with nothing, he said, I have learned to be content with much or with little, with a full stomach or with nothing, right? Because I have come to understand that even when there's nothing in my belly and I'm hungry, I can still have strength through Jesus. Contentment is so important. You have to understand how important this, this really is. The keys are understanding gratitude and trust. Gratitude and trust are the ingredients for contentment. God has this funny way of letting us lose what we're not grateful for. When you're ungrateful, when you take for granted, it's often that, that God allows it to slip through your fingers. When you're ungrateful, you'll focus on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And if you're not trusting God, you won't learn how to be content. You'll say, well, I won't be happy until I have more. I couldn't be happy if I had less. You've gotta understand trust. You gotta trust that God can provide and bring joy into your life with much or with little. Do you trust him even if you had less? The world talks about how important visualization is to success. I think it's healthy to visualize less. This is a good exercise. I do it a lot. I visualize what success looks like. I know what my dreams and hopes feel like, but sometimes I like to stop and visualize. What would it be like if I lost everything? What would it be like if the ground swallowed my household up and everything I know and love was gone? Would I still praise God and love him? Or is my faith contingent on me getting what I want and having things go my way? So I, I, I think it's a healthy process because we all know that sometimes things can look really good, but then the economy crashes. Sometimes, you know, things are looking really good, but then unexpected medical bills come out of nowhere that can swallow you up. I think it's healthy to visualize and decide in advance that if I have much or if I have little, I'm still gonna honor God with my life. I'm still gonna trust him to provide for my needs. I'm still gonna declare that he's good even if my situation's not good. This is critical to having joy and contentment in your life. We have to trust Jesus to provide and not worry, but almost everyone worries about money. It's true, almost everyone does, even, even poor people and rich people. It's true, do you know this? It, it, people think, oh, the, the wealthy, they don't worry about money, that'd be so nice. They do, everyone does, I've realized everyone does. Very, very poor people, the poorest of the poor, they worry about money. Even those who are receiving government assistance, they worry because they think, well, what will people think of me? 
I can't even provide for myself. Then maybe, maybe you're talking about people who are like lower class and they're, they're lower class, but they don't qualify for government assistance. And so they're worried like, it's up to me to provide and I don't even know if I can. And then you get like into the middle class and they're not worried about putting food on the table, but they start to think like, man, I don't know if I'm ever gonna have enough money to do the things that I really always wanted to be able to do. And so they're worried, am I gonna be happy? Am I gonna be fulfilled? How are we gonna get ahead? And then like you get to like upper middle class people and they get a little bit more money and they start to get a taste of the finer things in life. And then they realize, man, all the stuff that I used to think was really great, now it seems insufficient and not good enough and I feel poor again. And then you get to the really wealthy, the rich, who have a lot of money, but they're worried too because people are always trying to get it from them. It's true that wealthy people worry about money. There's something about having it that causes you to fear losing it. And, and, and they're worried, am I gonna get a good return on investment? Everybody's worried about money. That's why we have to learn how important it is to trust God to provide for all of our needs. In Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says this. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. This is so encouraging. Maybe you lost your job or someone in your family's been struggling to find a job, or maybe you started a business and it didn't work, or your investments tanked, or you know, the economy has kind of done you a disservice and you're worried, maybe you're about to retire and you're worried about having enough for retirement. Jesus says in advance, don't worry about any of this. Don't worry about having enough, about having enough to eat or drink. Don't worry about paying the bills. Don't worry because your Father in heaven knows what you need. Unbelievers who don't know God and his goodness worry about these things. But you who know Jesus and what God has done for you through Jesus, you should not be worried about these things. God is gonna provide for your needs. But look what Jesus says. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else, and he'll give you everything you need. If you'll seek God first, always keep your eyes on God. Put him first, put him first. You need God to be first in your life in order to have joy, especially when it comes to your finances. You need to be unified as a household and you need to learn how to be content. If you'll understand these things, you'll always have joy regardless of whether your bank account balance goes up or if it comes down. Even if you're really wealthy, you've got to understand this truth. Mo money, mo problems, as the philosopher Biggie said, <laughs> right? You cannot take joy from your balance sheet because the economy ebbs and flows and the stock market rises and dips. You've got to build your foundation on a solid rock. You've got to draw joy from a more trustworthy source than your finance. It's got to come from Jesus and his goodness and the confidence that he will be there and provide for your needs and that he's got even better things in store for you. I believe that God wants all of us as his people to be blessed. Do you know this? Not, not in a sense that he promises everyone, if you become a Christian, you'll be rich. That's not what happens. In fact, throughout most of the history of the world, Christians have been uh, poor and oppressed. In fact, recently I just heard a missionary from Jordan told an American missionary in my country, in the Middle East, if someone becomes a Christian, they'll lose their job and they'll be poor for the rest of their lives. 
in your country, people can become Christians and they can still rise and be successful. So many people are poor and they follow Jesus right now, but, but we as, as Americans, we have the privilege of living in a place where we can still succeed and be blessed. And I believe God wants all of his children to be blessed. You'll either be blessed more uh, in this life, but we'll all be blessed for eternity. Financially, we'll have everything that we need and beyond. So I believe God wants you to be promoted and successful and protected from layoffs, that he wants you to enjoy the good things that he has for you. But we really gotta keep things in perspective. We gotta decide, I'm not building my trust based on my finances and on what I have. I'm seeking God first, knowing that he's gonna lead me into everything that I need. This is what God wants for you in order to have financial joy. So what, now what do we do next? I'm gonna give you some practical steps to take from here. Here's what I want you to be able to do. Have some conversations with yourself and with your spouse. If you're married, uh, here's the first one. What's my next step towards financial joy? This is something for you to ask yourself. What's my next step towards financial joy? For some of you, your next step is your first step. And so you're realizing today, I've been doing it all wrong. That's why I've never been able to get ahead or, or have any peace or joy in my finances. So you're on track. You just gotta understand, put God first, Decide you're gonna tithe. Maybe that's your next step. I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna stop putting it off and making excuses. I wanna feel the joy of obedience. I wanna do that. For some of you, you've been doing that and you've even been generous beyond that. You've been giving to kingdom builders, building the kingdom of God. God says your next step is to grow in generosity. As you grow in generosity, you grow in, in even more joy. There's a joy of generosity that the Bible talks about, and God wants you to have that. So what's my next step? Maybe it's making a budget. Maybe it's cutting my spending. Uh, I'm going to get out of debt. But God wants you to take that next step and to grow in this area. Here's a question for you to sit down with your spouse and talk about at the dinner table this week. Here it is. How can I help you have financial joy? How can I help you find that joy in our finances, because if there's frustration in that part of your life, it's probably because there's a lack of communication. Isn't that usually the case? So ask one of you know, what, what do I need to do to make you feel more content? How can I help you feel more secure? Is there something I'm doing that, that I could tweak and do a little different so that there'd be more joy in this area of our family? I want it to be healthy, and I want my family to be blessed. What I wanna do at this time is pray for you and God's blessing on your family and your finances. This is not something that we've done a lot or that I don't even know if I've ever done this, but I wanna pray for business owners and I wanna pray for those who are struggling in their finances, uh, both that God will provide and bless everything that you do uh, so that you'll be able to use what he blesses you with for his glory. So let's do that right now. If you say, I want God's blessing in my life in this area, just raise your hand between you and God. I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, we know that you are a good father in heaven. You give good gifts. You already proved it by sending your son to give us the gift of salvation, a gift that we did not deserve or even ask for. You did it because your love for us was so great. So first, God, I pray for anyone that's struggling in their finances right now, Lord, that you would first give them peace and help them to trust you in this moment. Lord, thank you for reminding us of the truth that we can trust you to provide in any situation. God, I pray for anyone who is successful in this area right now. Maybe they have a successful business. God, we pray that it would continue to flourish. Lord, bless them and give uh, those business leaders wisdom and guide them as they use their wealth for your glory and enjoy it, Lord. And God, for all of us as your people, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and what really matters in Jesus' name.
Amen. What I want to do at this moment, too, is give anyone here an opportunity who needs to take this step and accept Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. And I believe this is the most important step any of us are ever going to take. And so we don't want to leave here before we have this opportunity take place. We're almost done, okay? But if you're here and you say, man, I need to accept Jesus, the Son of God, to save me from my sins. I want to be forgiven. I want to become a part of the family of God. I want to know the love that comes from the Father through Jesus, the Son. I want the Spirit of God to dwell inside me the way that the Bible says is possible, knowing I'll never be alone in anything I do. Let's have that time right now and take that opportunity to take that step of faith. So let's bow our heads. And if you're here for maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe today is your day to take that step of faith. Let's pray this prayer together and express what's going on in your heart to God. Lord, you know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and that he rose again so that I could have the gift of eternal life. God, you made this possible because of your love for me. And so today, God, I wanna receive that gift of salvation. I accept your son, Jesus. I believe that he is God. I believe that you have a plan for my life to prosper me and not to harm me, God, to give me a hope and a future. So I wanna follow you from this day forward. Help me to do it in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to take a moment to give God praise and worship his name. Let's sing. Come on.